I just want to pray to start this message because it's going to be something different than we've ever done before. And um, it's going to be awesome. So, Lord, I just thank you that your presence is here. Um, but I'm asking that you would prepare our hearts to be a ready vessel to receive what's on your heart for us this morning and for where you're taking us as a church. And um, and I just bless this time. I bless this word that you've given me to release today. And I bless our hearts to receive it with anticipation and expectation and, um, and, and a willing heart to say yes to you. In Jesus' name. So what I want to do is um, I have four scriptures, and I want to read each one and put a little pin in them, and then I'm going to come back and pull them together. And basically, for the last two months, I feel like God has been, you know how he begins to whisper something, and you know he's saying something, but you're not really sure what it is, and as time goes on, he unfolds it. And he started whispering to me um, about, I don't know, maybe seven or eight months ago that has turned into um, where we're heading as a church, and I'm I'm really excited about it. I don't have very many jokes today like I normally do when I preach, so I'm sorry. I feel a little bad that I don't have that, but um, but it's going to be good in other ways. So what happened was about seven, eight weeks ago, I was getting into bed at night, and I heard the Lord whisper this phrase. It's not actually a scripture. It's two different scriptures together. And I heard him whisper, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the violent take it by force. And I laughed, and I said, Lord, you know I don't like that verse, because I don't, Right? And, and there's something in me that is, I'm not a violent person. I never did. I'll tell you one funny story. I never did contact sports. I played soccer, and I was like, you know, the defender by the goal. And when somebody would be charging at me, there, I would have to fight this internal thing to go, way to go, like, go get the goal. And I would go, oh, that's me. I'm supposed to block you because everything in my brain was going, yay for you. <laughs> and please don't hit me because... I don't like that kind of thing. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm not like that. Even when I exercise, you know, I'm, you will not find me lifting hardcore weights. Like CrossFit will never be something that I will do. And, but the Lord was saying, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the violent take it by force. And I have a history with this verse of about eight years where God was just whispering and talking and having conversations with friends of mine about it and, um, and really coming to a place of consistently going, I really don't know what you're saying for me, Lord. And every time I would just lay it down and say, what you want, just say it, right? And, and I don't, I'm, I'm at a loss of where to go from here. So this time I said the same thing. Whatever you want, Lord, just tell me, right? And he began a seven-week-long journey of teaching me what this verse means for me and for us. And so I want to take you to the actual verse. It's Matthew 11, verse 12. And I'm going to read a little bit. Um, I'm going to read verse 11. This is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. And he says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater in privilege than he. Then he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. Some people translate this verse to say that the kingdom of heaven, they were experiencing it for the first time and they were squeezing in with all their might and it was like a, a violent thing. Picture Black Friday, Walmart sale, right? It's like, we all have to get in there and I'm going to force myself in there. But, you know, I think there's layers to every scripture and there's a layer to this that I feel like God has highlighted for us and it's this. The violent taking of the force, taking the kingdom by force, is not an angry thing, it's an eager thing. It's an eagerness that births inside of us that goes, oh, that's right, and I want that for my life. For example, my husband and I, we always go Black Friday shopping. I know some of you guys are kind of anti-Black Friday shopping. It's just something we think is fun. 
And we, and we go because we know the things we're going to buy already. And so it's like if, it, if it's on sale, why not, right? And I'm a people watcher. And there's no better day to people watch than Black Friday. So we go through the ads and we look. And so we know this store has committed to selling this product at this price. So I can show up at whatever time and expect that it's going to be there, right? There's an expectation and eagerness that causes me to go get something out of my comfort zone, out of the norm. So the, the, the violent men sees it by force as a precious prize. I love that. And I think sometimes we can look at that and think, and I know this is a struggle I've had, of am I supposed to just always take, right? Am I supposed to always be in this, I have to lay hold thing. But you know, Luke tells us in Luke 12, 32, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it's this interesting balance like a teeter-totter where most of the time it's God's pleasure to just give you what you're looking for. And then there's a little bit of margin sometimes where he goes, just take it. Just take it, right? So we're going to put a pin in this verse. I want us to go to, um, let's do John 2, 3 through 5. And this is, you guys are familiar with the story. It's um, Mary telling Jesus to turn the water into wine. And we're going to read just these verses. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, Mary. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine was all gone, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Dear woman, what is that to you and me? My time to act and be revealed has not yet come. It's like he knows what she's saying, right? She's not saying there's no more wine. She's like, there's no more wine. This could be your moment. He's like, this isn't my moment. And then his mother completely disregards what that is. And she goes, says to the servants, whatever he says to you to do, just do it. Like something really good is about to happen, right? All right, now we're going to go to Mark 5. 25 through 34, this is kind of long. I don't know that I have the whole section up there, but I'm going to read you this section. This is the woman with the issue of blood. This is a woman in the crowd had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured so much suffering at the hands of many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. She had heard reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his outer robe. Some translations say the fringe of like his prayer shawl. You would not notice that if someone touched that on you touched his outer robe, for she thought, if I just touch his clothing, I'll get well. Immediately, her flow of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body and knew without doubt that she was healed of her suffering. Immediately, Jesus recognized in himself that power had gone out from him, and he turned to the crowd, and he asked. Now, let me pause. Up until an encounter I had in October, I had always read this verse like this, and then he asked, who touched my clothes? Seems that's what it says, right? Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in around you from all sides and you ask who touched me? Still, he kept looking around to see the woman who had done it. And when the woman, though she was afraid and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, she came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And then he said to you, daughter, your faith, I love the Amplified in this, your personal trust and confidence in me has restored you to health. Go in peace and be permanently healed from your suffering. So good, right? So I had this encounter with the Lord in October, and God showed me as the woman with the issue of blood, which is ironic because I'm currently having an issue of my blood clotting, right? You guys know I nearly uh, had some fun on our prayer service of having those blood clots. And I, the Lord was like, you know, this is you in, in a lot of ways. I was like, how about that? That's really neat. And, um, and so he showed me this encounter, and I was the woman, and I reached out for the hem of his robe right? And he turned around, and I expected him to turn around like I've read this verse how many dozens of times. But this time, he turned around, and he goes, who touched me? And he was giddy. 
he was excited. He wasn't like, this was an inconvenience. I'm on the road to heal something else. He was like, somebody figured it out. Who was it? Like, who? Which one of you? This is what I love is that it was in, in Jesus's humanity. It was not on his radar to hear, heal this woman, right? In his humanity, he had a mission. He was going to heal Jairus's daughter. He was on his way. And so as a human, he wasn't aware of her need, but God was aware. And even in his humanity, his divinity was still happening. I don't know. I geek out about that because I think it's so crazy that God has his way when he wants it, right? And there was something about this woman that was like, I have nothing to lose, like, what's the worst that could happen? I've already lost everything. I have no money. I've tried every treatment, right? It's not, it's not going to go away on its own. It's been 12 years. I have nothing to lose. And so she's trying to get as close to him as she can. And there's all this crowd going around. And so I don't think it's that she didn't. I think she probably would have gone to him and said, Jesus, can you heal me? She just couldn't get close enough. The farthest she could get was in all of her stretching the tiny little piece of fringe off the back of his prayer shawl. And even that tiny little thread was enough to permanently heal her. And so when I had this encounter, the Lord showed me, he said, you sometimes come to me thinking you're an inconvenience. And I was like, wow, right? That I know you're on this way, God, and I'm over here trying to say, Lord, can you do this for me? I mean, I know you can, will you, is now the time, is, you know? And he said, it's, it's, it's the Father's good pleasure, right? And the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the violent take it by force. And, and it's not the violent, let's say the eager. The eager take it by force. She knew that Jesus was the healer. There was something in her that was like, I just have to try. And when she tried, God was delighted. This was shocking to me, because God is never inconvenienced when we experience something from him. I love how Graham Cook says, sometimes I cross the line, which would be like this story, this woman going, is this for me? I don't know. Let's try. And he goes, and God goes, that's okay, son. I'll just draw you a new line. Right? We have to rephrase how we think that God is to us, towards us, with us, for us. So he reached, so, uh, so he's going. He says, immediately Jesus recognized in himself that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And he turned to his disciples, and his disciples are going, you see the crowd pressing in from all sides, and you say, who touched me? And I think they're trying to figure out, what are you talking about? And he's like, I'm not even listening to you. I'm lasered in because something just happened where someone in their eagerness figured out who I really am, almost ahead of their time, and wow, that was amazing, right? Now, I, I, we're going to put a pin in that. I want to say that if the, Mary's experience with Jesus, because we're not going to talk about the miracle of the wine. We're going to talk about her relationship with Jesus. It's the same story. Can you see that? Her looking at Jesus and saying, I know you can. I know you will. It might not be on your radar as a human, but it's on your God radar. And just give it a second, and you'll catch, right? And I think there's something about if we looked at Mary's relationship with Jesus, we could say, oh, Jesus did this miracle for her because, you know, like a thank you to ruining her life for him, <laughs> right? Thank you for the virgin birth and for all the shame that you endured and all the challenge and, you know, knowing that you're going to lose your beloved son. You know, thank you for that. I'll, I'll do this thing for your friend. And we could isolate it to something that was unique to Mary that can't be for us. But that's not what's happening here. The woman with the issue of blood had the same experience, different circumstances, but the same experience where her eagerness was able to draw something out from Jesus, something that was in him to give all along. So we have to catch ourselves when we start to think, wait a minute, Lord, do you want to do this for me? And I, I get that because this has been my journey too of going, is this something you want to do for me, Lord? And he goes, you can't ask that question. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have to ask the question, are you eager enough to grab it? 
Because sometimes when we reach out for the hem of his robe, it's not an instant healing. It's a revelation of something we need to position ourselves closer to him, right? It's not always exactly what we're going for, but every time we reach, you can expect something really powerful. So I had this crazy experience this last week um, where I was literally whisked away to Kingfisher, Oklahoma with my new friend Sharon here and at this retreat with some women who are women in ministry leaders. And um, I don't really, it, it's a long story, all I can tell you later, but, um, but I had an extended time with God in this cabin out in this beautiful property ground. And um, one of the mornings I was asking the Lord, God, you know, what are you saying for Bethel? Because he's been saying things. He's been talking about coming back to the vision. He's been talking about this vision series that he wants us to do, which ironically, this is going to be the beginning of that. And, and then he said this, he said, I want you to look up Acts 2 too. So you can put that up, Jonathan. And so I said, okay. And I, you know, I knew it was going to be a good story because it's an Acts, but I honestly didn't remember what it was. And I read it and it said, and suddenly a sound came from heaven, like a rushing violent wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I highlighted violent to you because I want you to notice that it's, it's the same word in both of those verses. It's not actually the same Greek context, but it's the same word in our purposes, right? There's an aggressive thing. And the Lord said to me, take this literally. And I was like, okay. And I'm an imaginative person, you know, so I'm trying to picture, like, is it going to be a sound? And he said, I'm not saying it's literal like a sound you'll hear with your ears, but it's a sound you'll hear with your spirit, and everybody is going to feel it. And the whole room will feel it. And then I said, so what will that be like? And then he said this phrase. He said, a sonic boom, which Greg would know. I don't know that term, <laughs> right? Greg flies planes, so he would know. So I Googled what's a sonic boom, and this is what it says. A loud explosive noise caused by a shockwave from an aircraft traveling faster than the speed of sound. In other words, when you break the sound barrier, it's the resulting effect. It's a boom in the atmosphere, and you can feel it. Can you hear it? You can hear it, and you can feel it, right? So I'm going, okay, Lord, now this is interesting. What's this going to look like? And, you know, I have to be honest. I've been debating back and forth before God saying, are we supposed to do messages about Christmas and Emmanuel with us? And, you know, those things that we do in churches, especially here in Oklahoma. When you don't preach on Christmas at Christmas time in Oklahoma, it's just weird, right? And the Lord, I mean, it just is. And the Lord's been telling me, you're not a normal church. And I'm like, well, we know that, God, right? You all know that. You're here because you didn't like normal church. And so he said, you're not a normal church, so, you know, give it up. I said, okay, all right. I like Christmassy things, <laughs> right? I like Christmassy things. I mean, we will put a tree up. You know, we're going to do some Christmas things as a community. But God was saying, but the message that's in my heart is a now word about the vision that I've called this church to. And I'm like, you got it, God. And here's why. This is my response. Some of you guys know this story, but when we moved here to plant this church, we had just moved to Oklahoma City. I was spending time with the Lord one afternoon, and Grant was spending time with God separately, you know, at Starbucks, because, you know, those introverts, they can't ever let us into their time with the Lord. And so, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, and so I had this encounter. I had this moment with God. It wasn't an encounter. And the Lord said to me, you know, you're not the first person I've asked to plant this church, and you might not be the last. <sighs> Talk about a sonic boom of the fear of the Lord, right? And I said, oh, okay. And he began to unveil his heart. This is so precious. I hope you understand this. Because this is not about any other person. This is not about any other ministry or church. This is about God and his heart. And he, he showed me a picture of his heart of, of asking 
people in the years before, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking back to when the city began, right, of asking people to birth this type of a church where he could be free, really free to be himself. And the ways of the world would come in, and every time it would get a little bit off course, and he'd have to start over with somebody else. And he said, I will start over. I mean, I'm paraphrasing this part now, but he said, I will start over with someone else if you can't hold on to what I'm asking. And so my response was, God, if all you need is a worthy vessel, I will be that. If all you need is a person to partner with, you can use me. I mean, I have my own dreams. I have dreams that don't include being a pastor. (laughs) I had a lot of them. They're slowly dying one by one, and I'm okay with that. But some of them are still there. And the Lord began to show me. He said, if you will do what's in my heart, I will make a place for what's in your heart. And I don't think that's the key to dreaming with God. I think that was the key for me because he was saying, I'm just looking for someone who will tend to what I'm wanting to build. I said, okay. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I say this to Grant, you know, that doesn't come out like really weird. And um, so we were talking that night and I just began to tell him and he said, stop. He said, this is what God told me today. He said, you're not the first person I've asked to plant this church and you might not be the last. Same day, same time frame, not the exact same moment. We both heard the Lord say the exact same thing. We had it written down. Now, if that doesn't cause you some trembling, I don't know what will, right? And there's been many times in this journey where we've had an idea or this would be fun or let's go for this. And we'll have to stop and say, no, Lord, what, what is it that you want? And we'll stay 10 people. We'll stay five people. We'll stay 20 people. You know, we'll do whatever is in your heart so that you can have this thing that you're wanting to birth. And I share that story not because there's something special about us, but there's something special about this. There's something really special about what God is doing here in this house. He named this church very reluctantly to me and to Grant. And I'm just being really honest with you guys because I want you to catch what's happening here. And, you know, we've, we spent six months asking the Lord, what do you call, what, are, what do we call the church? And we tried this name and that name, and none of them stuck. And I finally said, God, I know you're calling this church by a name in heaven when you pray for it, because Jesus is sitting interceding, right? I said, you're calling it by a name. What is the name? Just tell me. And he said, go Google what does Bethel mean. And I thought, oh, Lord. I don't want to be a, another Bethel church in Oklahoma, and I don't want to be a Bethel church. You know, there's a lot of stigma that I was just like, my flesh was really rebelling against that. So I Googled, what does Bethel mean? And the first thing that popped up was an article someone had compiled of all the things in the city of Bethel in the Bible that had happened. Things like Jacob's open heaven encounter. Things like Abraham creating a covenant with God. Things like people. It became a city where people would actually travel from other cities to go and experience something from the Lord and then go back. When they needed wisdom, when they needed insight, they would move to Bethel, receive what they got, and go back to where they were. Thing after thing after thing. And I said, okay, Lord. Because we had spent six or nine months like just writing down the vision that God had been giving for this church. And it was just bullet points on it. I said, all right, we'll name it Bethel. You know, it's if that's what you're, what's in your heart, sure, God. I said, but you have to tell him because he's not going to like that. And not because we love Bethel Church. That's not, you know, I think you know our hearts. So I said, Grant, I think I know the name for the church. And I waited until the kids were in bed and everything was, you know, they were asleep so there wouldn't be interruptions because I didn't want it to come out wrong. And, and, and I just felt like the holy fear of the Lord on it, you know. And so I said, I feel like God is saying. And I told him the story I just told you. And he goes, well, that's interesting. I said, the Lord just told me to tell you just to pray about it. And whatever you think, you know, will come. If you don't think that, that's fine. We'll come back to the drawing board. He goes, okay. So the next morning, this is how he tells the story. He said to God, Lord, I'm not naming it Bethel. What are you calling this church? Okay. 
And, he, and the Lord said to him, go look up what does my house mean in Hebrew. So he goes, okay. He goes to our best friend Google. Google, what does my house mean in, in Hebrew? And it means Bethel. And he's like, oh, are you kidding me, right? And so even in that, God is going, there's something in me that I'm creating. It's purposeful. I want it to be that way. So in this vision of where we're headed, God's been showing me. He's like, you know, this is a season where I'm about to take over in a, in a fresh way. I'm like, okay. So if we can put that axe, okay, good, it's still up there. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like a rushing violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And God has been showing me pictures of fire. And I felt like he said, this next year, the goal is to cultivate an atmosphere of fire. I said, okay. (laughs) That sounds fun. (laughs) Right? And then I felt like he said, to brace, to tell you, to brace yourselves because he is going to come with fire. And we have to position ourselves to partner with him. We have to position ourselves to let eagerness rise up, to deal with those things that we feel insecure about with the Lord. We have to be ready to reach out and grab and take by force, if necessary, what he has apportioned for us in the spirit. Right? McCoby's already, he's about to jump out of his skin. I told him this morning, you buckle up, you're going to be really happy. And so the Lord said, he said, I, I want, and I ha, I, I'm just going to tell you, I wasn't going to plan on sharing this, but I'm worshiping the Lord, and he's showing me picture after picture after picture of what this year is going to be like. And guys, like, it will blow you away. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have some speakers come in that are going to fan fire into us. Actually, we already had one. You guys remember Timothy and Elizabeth Berry, our, our dear friends? And we already had them on the books to come in March. And, um, and God was saying, the only people you're allowed to come, and he told me this last week, okay? He said, the only people that you're allowed to invite are people who bring the fire. And I said, okay. Looks, everybody does, but there's a specific thing he's wanting to deposit in us. I said, okay. And then I remembered that the Berry's ministry is called Hearts Ignited. And I was like, come on, Lord, if that's not a confirmation, right? Just another level. And so the other thing I want to share with you about this is maybe it's hot in here because of the fire. It's not. I think we have the heat turned on for the first time. But I'm feeling the heat, and I know it's also literal heat in the building. So, you know, um, if you see me sweating, it's not probably a, a manifestation. But, um, <laughs> but so the Lord, he, he, and I told some of you guys this. He's been speaking to me, contend for the 120. And I was like, okay, that's weird but sounds good. And I've been going, God, why 120? Why not 50? Why not 100? Why not 1,000? Why 120, right? So we, we just started two weeks ago this intercessory night. And if you're an intercessory type prayer person, it's different than our prayer night. And don't bring your kids because it will get real crazy real fast. But at McCovey and Caitlin's house, not this Thursday, but you can come the Thursday after that, they're hosting an intercessory night. And so I was sitting with them and Reese at this night, and I said, I want to throw this out and I want to test it. Because God's been speaking to me, and right when we hear the Lord, we need to test it. I don't ever want to give you a prophetic word that I don't believe with confidence is what God is saying. And so I said, we're going to contend for the 120, and I want to pray into it and see what happens. And so we prayed, you know, and it wasn't like a cloud appeared in the room or anything like that. But I left, and I had this confidence in me again. And every day as I was here, just asking the Lord, and he said, yes, contend for the 120. And I don't know what it is about 120 people, okay? Yeah, thank you. I don't know what it is about 120 people, but I know there's something about it. I don't know if it's going to be a fight. I don't know if it's going to be overnight. I don't know. I don't need to know. But I know this is what God is telling us to do. So in a little bit, we're going to do some ministry time. And one of the things I want to ask you guys to do is to ask the Lord personally, are you giving me any insight into the 120? We're not going to share it corporately. But if you do feel like he tells you something, I want you to come and tell me or come and tell Grant. Because we want to be positioning ourselves correctly before God. 
right? I believe this season is really strategic for us. I think it's annoying to me in my flesh that it's the holiday season because people travel, right? And, and traditionally, half of our church is usually not here from November to January. And so I was like, Lord, come on. But that's what he's saying. And I'm going to go, all right, Lord. All right. And so the last piece of this puzzle that I felt like he was saying, I felt like he said, don't invite your church, ask your church. And I was like, that's interesting. And I realized if I invite you to come to my house for like a party, if it fits in your schedule, you'll come. Who wouldn't, right? I mean, I like parties. You like parties. But if something else more important comes up or whatever, then it's like, oh, I can't, I can't make it. I got to not come. And that's totally fine for a party. But when I ask you, can you come to my house, there's a, a greater accountability there, right? It's like I may have had this other thing come up, but I committed to this and I need to be there. And I felt like the Lord said, he wants to ask you to join in this journey with us as a church. And I am asking you to participate with, God, with what God is doing. I don't know what it's going to look like. I can, I can promise you at some level there will be some things you're uncomfortable with. And I'm okay with that. If it's God, if it's not God, I'm not okay with that. And I, we may have private conversations about that, right? But if it's God, I'm okay with it. Because don't we want God to have a home for his spirit? Don't we want him to have a place when he's looking at Oklahoma and going, there's a lot of expressions of me, but there's one part of me that's missing. And, and if you don't participate with me, I can't build it. Right? And I don't know about you, but this is a holy thing to me. I mean, I have other things I'd like to do with my time. Just let's be honest, right? But I get the privilege to tend to the Lord in this way, to see those pieces of his heart that are so tender of saying, I love all my people, and some of my people have not honored me in the way I want to be honored. And I want to go, Lord, if no one else, I will do that. If no one else, we will do that. If nowhere else, you can be free here. And we talk about that a lot, that God would have a freedom to be truly himself. And that doesn't mean chaos, right? That, that God is not just chaotic all the time, but it means he can do things like, when I want to sonic boom you, I can sonic boom you, right? And he goes, when I want to unveil the sham wow, we can go, wow, Lord, you know? And then there's other times where it's subtle and it's something in your heart and it's very fiery to you and it does, there's no outward expression and, and wow to that too. We're not looking for something. What I'm looking for in this is that all of our hearts would begin to burn and begin to burn outward. Um, at this retreat I was at this last week, we were asked this question. And um, I might talk more about this at another time, but it's a concept of having like a, a, a shadow mission to your mission, right? That we all have a, a goal in life, a mission in life, a calling. Some of us know it, some of us don't. And then we have this sort of shadow calling that's usually fueled by our ego and some of our wounding, that's a little bit lesser version. And if we're not careful and we don't have the right people in our lives to speak us to the calling, then we can end up living out that secondary thing, right? And I was asking the Lord, and, and I don't believe this is what we're doing, okay? So don't feel that. But I was asking God, what's the shadow mission of Bethel? What's that thing that we could do and not realize that we're fueling it? And, and this is what he said. He said that, we, that we're a church that really loves God, but we never reach people. I was like, because <laughs> that can be true. 
you know, if we're not careful, we can be all about loving God in the midst of these four walls and forgetting about the thousands, the 120,000 just in our area, the 1.2 million in our surrounding metroplex that need a relationship with God. They don't need a church service. They need a relationship with God. They need to know that God is in them and with them and for them. They need to know that they can reach out for the hem of his garment. They need to know these things, and we have to fight the fight for them to know right? We can't just sit here and say, man, Lord, you're never going to let me down. Well, at the same time, most of our city believes he has. You know, that when most of our city is walking around going, well, I lost everything in that tornado. I lost everything in that thing. I, you know, and, and bless God, I know he's good, but in their hearts, they're saying, you're, you're nothing to me, Lord, right? Or, or I'm, I'm supposed to bless you, but you don't ever do anything for my life. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a fight worth fighting for right? That, if I have to burn for God so that that person can know him, then let me burn, Lord. If I have to get out of my comfort zone so that that person can experience his genuine love, then okay, God, kick me in the pants. Because there's something about this season, and as we contend for the 120, we also have to invite the 120. We also have to be willing to say, to step up and go, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I am really sorry that life is hard, but God can. And, and, and we don't have to just promise the moon, right? But we can say, but I don't know what he'll do, but I know he will because he's good, because I know him. Let me lend to you my relationship with him for a moment. For the places in you that you're kind of like, I don't know how to figure this out for myself, let me lend to you what I already know. Because as you borrow from me, you'll get strong and you'll be able to stand up too, right? And I don't know, maybe the 120 isn't for our church. Maybe it's for the metro at large. I don't really care. I have buried in me, it been burned, not buried, because that would mean it would come back up. It has burned every ambition of how many people we're going to have. That's never the goal, right? I would rather have a room this size where all of your hearts are genuinely beating in sync with the Holy Spirit than have a thousand people who could care less. And we have pastors tell us at different times, I would trade my 500 for your 30 in a heartbeat, because no matter what I do, I can't get my people to read the Bible. And I'm thinking, What? <laughs> And it's not just the Bible, right? But I can't get them to pray. I can't get them to show up to a worship night. I can't, unless we do some foo-foo and fan-fan. And I'm all about that stuff. I mean, I like a party. But there's something else going on that's like, we need the Holy Spirit to burst through us to ignite other people. And that's what's about to happen. Can you come with me? <laughs> right? Can you try? I don't, you, I'm not asking you to like take on a different persona. That's actually, you know, you know that. I would never ask you to do that. But in who you are, there is something of God that has to be unleashed. It doesn't have to look like me. It doesn't have to look like Grant or anybody else. It just has to look like you and it has to be God on fire within you. And if you don't feel on fire today, that's okay. You're going to get lit up. Maybe today, maybe next week, maybe I don't know when, but we're going to spend the next nine to 12 months and that's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep fanning this flame. And so I'm asking you, would you fan the flame of your own heart with me? It may look like some things that we like to watch on TV, we got to put aside so we can keep our minds clear. I'm not saying TV is bad. I love TV. But there's times when I'm watching too much TV and I'm just not thinking about or listening to the Lord, right? It has nothing to do with that's a whatever, you know, or oh, I mean, there's a lot of religion in all of that too. And you got to listen to God for yourself. And if you're doing that, I'm all about it. But I know for me, I have to clear some things out of my life so that I can let that fire be stoked again. 
I got to clear some things out of my life so that that shadow mission of really loving God and just kind of staying there doesn't consume me and doesn't become my mission, right? For I'll just share this. This is really vulnerable. But I said, God, what's my personal shadow mission? And he said that you would build a kingdom of me. Not fanfare, but what I like, what I don't like, what I prefer. That's comfortable. That's not comfortable, <laughs> right? And, and there's, a, there's a place in God where we're free to be that. But there's also a place in God where the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the violent take it by force. And sometimes that has a sonic boom effect in our life that feels a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to step up and grab the hem of his garment and face public ridicule on, you know, on the off chance. And thank God she didn't experience that, but she could have. Think about this. The woman with the issue of blood, she was exiled from the spiritual community. I think part of her desire to be healed wasn't so much that she wanted healing in herself, although that was big, but I think she wanted to be a part of the spiritual family. She wasn't allowed to come and minister to God and be ministered to him in the temple because she was considered unclean because she couldn't cleanse herself ritually. How many women and men like that are in our city right now? And they're prickly and they're messy and they're annoying. Can I just get a hello, right? Because they don't know. And, and the best they can do is like stretch out and just have a, a hope. But we know. And so if we will contend, I am telling you, we will see something amazing. Mary's relationship with Jesus, it was their connection. It was their intimacy. It was their familiarity with each other that drew that miracle. Not that she was his mother. It was that she knew him. Do you know Jesus? Is he real to you? I talk about this all the time. I want the tangible presence of God in my life. I don't want to convince myself I'm feeling the presence of God. I want to actually feel it. I want to actually know that he's working in my life, right? And if I'm settling for something that's like, it's like a version of denial. And we do that sometimes. So this is not a shameful day. I don't want anybody to leave feeling any kind of shame or condemnation because that's not in the kingdom. What I want you to do is feel a little bit of like, a, you know, the hot seat rising up in you when you're sitting too close to the fire and you just can't stay there anymore. You got to get up because your back is going to get burned, right? Thank you. I will. I want to talk about one more thing and then we're going to do some, some time with God and it's going to be good. We're going to be talking more in the coming weeks about the vision that God laid out for this church, not because we're off track. I actually don't believe we are. I actually believe we're right where he wants us to be. I think this is just the next step. I think we've journeyed this whole journey this year, and now we're stepping into the next thing, right? And I want to invite you guys to be, I'm inviting you to this. You don't have to do this. I'm asking you to participate with God, but I'm inviting you to this. See the difference? I want to invite you to ask the Lord, what's on your heart? What are you saying? Because we need to hear those things, right? This church doesn't function if it's just me and Grant before God saying, what are you saying, Lord? Because that's not the vision. When he told us, plant this church, I said to the Lord, maybe in five years, sound good? When my kids are grown and I don't have little ones at home, like, would that be okay, Lord? He's like, how about now as in like tomorrow? And we didn't move tomorrow, but it was like, okay. And Grant says he felt this urgency, like God was yanking on the collar of his neck for like nine months saying, it has to be now, it has to be now, it has to be now. And we believed that if we didn't step out in that moment, we would miss the window that God had opened. And I don't know what would have happened, but there was something strategic about it had to be now. And you guys know the story. And then we moved and then God goes, great, you're here. Now just love people. And it was like all of that urgency for what? <laughs> right? And, 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 and the vision that he'd given us, 
And he told Grant this, and, you know, he's telling me last night, he goes, I guess you've never really preached the four pillars. I said, I guess I haven't. So I may be up here next week preaching the four pillars. I don't know. But God said to him, I want to take the model of American church, where it's the senior pastor as the the go-between, the Moses liaison. The senior pastor will hear from God, and everything will trickle from them. And he said, I want to take that model. Let's do our lion picture. And I want to flip it on its head. And I want the, the pastors and the, the core team of leaders to look at themselves as the greatest servant of all and to lay their bodies flat before me so I can build on top of them, and it's going to hurt. It's like, okay, Lord, whatever you want. And I had an encounter with the Lord at that time where I was kneeling before him, just envisioning myself kneeling before him, and I said, God, I'm surrendered before you, whatever you want. And I heard a little chuckle from the Holy Spirit. Does anybody feel like God laughs like when you have thoughts, right? He does. He's funny. He has a really good sense of humor. And he chuckled at me, and then I saw in this picture an angel came and yanked me by the hand and took me from on my knees to like completely prostrate on my face. And he goes, that's surrender. And he said, that's the surrender that you need to do this. I said, okay, Lord. You can't hold anything. You have nothing left, right? You're just completely laid out before God. You have to come, Lord. And so he said, I want to flip the American model on its head. I don't want it to be all about the one pastor and everything that they feel like God is saying. I want it to be a team of people where the apostolic and the prophetic and the evangelist and the shepherd and the teaching voices are coming together to lead this church. It sounds like the kingdom. And then he said, and, I, and, and he said, but what I want to do is I want to be the bedrock. He said, me, God, the Father, I want to be the bedrock, and I want a place right next to me for my son Jesus to be everything that he is, and I want a place right next to him for Holy Spirit to be everything Holy Spirit is. And the three of us together want to be free to all be ourselves together. Yes. That I can do, Lord. That I want, right? And he said, and we're going to be the bedrock under the foundation. And then these fivefold voices, I'm not saying we're like office of these things, but the voices that come from these perspectives are going to sit on top of the three of us. And then you're going to build this house. And over here is going to be this pillar. And it's going to be called love. And it's going to be the experience of God's presence where you receive how much I love you. And you learn how to love me. And you get to learn how to love other people. And it's going to be so amazing. And then he said, and then we're going to come over here and we're going to build this pillar over here and it's going to be called prayer and worship and how they fit together. And so I'm going to teach your people how to pray and get results. We're not just praying through lists at a time and just hoping we shot the right direction with our words, but we're communing with God. I love how Bill Johnson says, if I have an hour to pray, I spend 45 minutes in worship and 15 minutes in prayer because if I can align my heart with God, the prayers I pray, this is me paraphrasing, come out like lasers, like the Death Star, and they just obliterate everything in its path, right? And so this prayer and worship pillar and, 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 and to worship in a way that is filled with glory and to experience God and release encounters and, and, and encounters where we bless God. It's a two-way street, right? And, and to pray out of that place. And then he said, and then you're going to come over here and you're going to build this pillar and it's going to be called equip and release. It can't just be called equip. It has to be called and release because I'm so tired of my church just equipping everybody and never giving them an opportunity to do anything with it. And it's really messy when you release people sometimes, right? And God goes, I'm okay with that mess because it's not enough to me to just tell you how to do something, but you never have a place to do it. 
Now, the reality is the place to do it is not always in the four walls of the church, but it's our job to lay a foundation for you guys to have that fire lit under you to be released into your calling as a mother, as a grandmother, as a dad, as a teacher, as a whatever you are, as a business leader, right? As a pastor, whatever it looks like for you. And so equip and release. And then he goes, and then come over here. And you're going to build this pillar of rescue. And I remember asking the Lord, why is it called rescue and not salvation? And he showed me because not everybody needs salvation. Not in a predestination way. But because some of us are saved and we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued out of our bondage. We need to be rescued out of the thinking of religion that still tells us we have to work and strive our way to something. We need to be rescued right? And so the four of these pillars with God and Jesus and Holy Spirit on the bottom and then the, the laying down of our team of, of voices that speak into those fivefold giftings and then they raise this house. And I remember asking the Lord one day, because you know we've had what, like seven prophetic words of just explosive growth and all this stuff. And I finally said, enough is enough, Lord, unless you are going to say something else. I think we've got the memo. And the Lord said to me one day, he said, what would you do if a hundred people just, you know, a hundred new people just showed up? I thought, huh, that's a really good question. I said, I don't know, what would you do? Because this is our pattern now, because it's his church. And he showed me this picture, and all the four pillars became a tunnel and a lighthouse. And everybody, yeah, now we're too cold. Jonathan, can you crank it down a little bit? Now, now we need to light some more fire, so turn the air a little hotter. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Ashley. So, okay, so, we, so the, these, these four pillars became a tunnel, and they were colored different things. And I began to see people from all over walking through this tunnel as we, the church, are the lighthouse. I mean, does that not get you excited, God? And this is not my vision. This is God's heart for the church. I'm not preaching this to say, come on board. I'm building this ministry. And it's called Rachel Wartman Ministries. And it's awesome. And you should come. That's not what this is. I'm telling you, come on board because God is building a lighthouse in Oklahoma that's going to shine a light on all the dark places that's going to shine a light on religion, that's going to shine a light on our condemnation that we put on everybody. It's going to expose those things, and then they're going to go, how do I get help? And then he's going to say for some of them, you come to this place I've built for myself. It's called Bethel OKC, and you're going to walk through this tunnel, and first you're going to learn how to love, and then you're going to learn how to pray and worship, and then you're going to get equipped, and then you're going to get released, and then you're going to rescue people. And then you're going to come back around with the people that you rescued, and you're going to come in the tunnel again, and you're going to get more love, and they're going to get love, and you're going to get more. You see what I'm saying? it is exciting. Thank you. It is exciting because God is on the move. He's on the move. And I, I literally am like laughing. I didn't tell my kids, draw a prophetic picture. They were just like, mom, you didn't bring paper. And I said, well, you can use my notes because I'm a mom and that's, we multitask. And so when Jack said to me, you guys know Jack is super prophetic. And I said, what'd you draw? And he, I'm like, what is this? It looks like a totem pole or something. I was like, is this something we're supposed to cast out? You know, I wasn't really sure. And, uh, and he said, it's a road. It's a rainbow road, mom. And I just was like, oh my gosh, it's the road of his promise, guys. It's the road that he's laid out before us to walk down, the road of his promise. And then he drew this picture of a lion, and he was really upset. I don't know if you could hear him, that he didn't get to finish the tree. So this is supposed to be a tree, okay? So he's going to finish that later. And I don't know what's significant about the lion laying by the tree. I'm sure there's a lot of prophetic symbolism in there. But he said, I said, what is it? He said, it's a lion. And Callie drew a lion, too. And I said, did you hear God to say that? She goes, it just came in my mind, which is kid code for that was God. I'm going to try to show you the picture. Here we go. This is the lion that she drew. You know why it's a lion? Because the lion is here this morning. 
the lion side of Jesus is here this morning. The part that wants to roar and release us into this season of burning. This, I don't know, I, I keep asking God, give me something catchy, because I don't know how to say a season of we're all going to burn on fire just doesn't sound like something we can invite people to. So if you have any good ideas, come tell me later. <laughs> but there's, you know, however it ends up, however we word it, in the, the, in, in, because that's what's happening. So I'm asking my friend Brent. This is my new friend Brent. You guys are about to be really blessed by him. Um, Sharon sent me a, a YouTube video. They're worship pastors. They've been worship pastors. And she said, here's a picture of, of him playing. I think it was like from 2008. And I was driving in my car and I was like, oh, mercy. The, the, uh, the presence of God that was released through this YouTube video from so many years ago in my car, I was like, wow, wow. So come on up, Brent. So I asked Brent, I felt like God said to invite Brent to play, and here's how we're going to end our time. Makobi, will you go get Caitlin and Grant? She knows what to do. Um, so we're gonna, this is what we're going to do. I want to ask you to open your heart to the Lord. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like. I know what it's not going to look like. It's not going to be an open mic sharing what you feel like God is saying. If you feel like God is saying something, I want you to write it down. I want to know that, but not for this time right here. What I want to do, and if you'll change the lights over, because, um, you know, we've got to set the mood. Um, Brent's going to play. I'm going to pray. And we're going to release the presence of God to come. And I don't know if I, I have a feeling that the sonic boom is not going to happen today. <laughs> right? Because we're beginning this process of kindling our hearts. But I want to just make room for the Lord. And I'm asking you to make room for the Lord in your hearts too, okay? If you feel like God is saying something, come tell me personally, because what I feel like we need to do is just, um, you know, in, Brent, in a minute or two, if you feel like God gives you a prophetic song, you're free to sing that. But we're just going to create an atmosphere for God to come. He might bring something up in you that you need to lay down. Participate with him. He might do something that's encouraging to you. Just participate with whatever's on his heart, okay? Uh, and, and, and then we're going to do something else at the end. So, um, man, Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome your fire. I want to read to you guys a couple quotes and a couple scriptures as we move into this time. And this is John Hagee, and it says, A church can be unified in one of two ways. You can freeze together as the church of the frozen chosen, or you can melt together with the fire of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> this one says, Spirit-filled souls are ablaze for God. They love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They serve with a devotion that consumes. They hate sin with fierceness that burns. They rejoice with a joy that radiates. And love is perfected in the fire of God. And John Wesley said, My fear is not that our great movement, known as the Methodists, will eventually cease to exist or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, the supernatural element that makes us great. Deuteronomy 4, 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous, impassioned God, demanding what is rightfully and uniquely his. Lord, we welcome your consuming fire this morning. We welcome your consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is indeed a consuming fire. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. 
And so I just release the fire that you've apportioned for us today, this morning. I ask you, send your angels of fire to come and help us burn for you. Help us burn up the parts that need to go. And, and set, I just ask, Lord, in, in the holiness of this moment, that you would set us on fire to fight this fight, to contend for the things that you're asking us to do, to participate with your spirit in this. And so, so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here to do whatever is in your heart to do. And we open our hearts to receive from you. So stay engaged. Track with his presence. And we're just going to continue to invite him to come for a few minutes. If you want to come up here and kneel down or you want to lay down, that's totally fine. Crying out for more, Jesus. Set a fire down in our soul. We can't contain, we can't control, Jesus. We want more, Lord. We want more, Lord. We want more and more and more. Set 
up a hunger. Oh, I release a hunger right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, supernatural hunger in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, yeah. Oh, deep in your soul, a hunger deep in your souls, a hunger deep in our souls. Oh, Can you feel the tangible presence of God? And we just say we want more. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. We want more of you. Come and rest in this place and come and rest in our hearts and come and do what only you can do. Come and do what only you can do. And if you feel in your heart saying yes to this journey of participating with God and building this house that he's building and taking this step into this season of, of allowing yourself to burn, of a revival fire coming on you, I, I want to invite you to come up here. You can kneel or you can stand. And I've asked Makobe, he's going to be praying over you. Grant and I are going to be praying over you. And it's not going to be a long prayer. We just want to just bless what God is doing and just... I, I just want to release. I want to release this fire over your life. So you can just come and stand up here. We'll try to make sure we get to everybody. Where's Sarah? Hey, I want to give you a corporate prophetic word because we're going to be watching for this to happen. Um, I saw the Lord bring a piece of coal and touch your mouth, and there's a song or two you're going to write in this season. You may have already written it. Of this, she's taking a few weeks of just spending more time with God and taking a break from worship. And so we're asking you to write the song of God that's in your heart. And we're all going to bear witness when you stand up and release it of that prophetic anointing that God is going to release. And it's going to be really good. So I'm going to pray for you first. And just here, come over here. If you want, you don't have to come put your hand on her, but just extend your hand towards her. And we just release, we just release the fire of God over your life, Sarah. We just say increase of the boldness that he's given you an increase of the prophetic anointing that he's given you. And we put in the spirit, the words of this song in your mouth and in your mind, in Jesus name, in Jesus name. And we just say fire of God, release over her a willing vessel, a worthy vessel to burn for you. We just anoint her afresh today as a voice to this generation of hope and healing and restoration and fire and glory and glory. So we release that. We release that. We release that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And as we pray over you, we're not going to use the microphone. Stay engaged with God. 
be aware of what he's doing inside of you. And if you need to write it down so you don't forget, don't forget. But if you're like, I don't feel like he's doing something, step out. Be the woman with the issue of blood. Be Mary. Count on Jesus. Let your eagerness lead you into that place.
I want us to I want us to contend. We just have a few minutes left and I want us to contend for the 120. So whatever that meant to you when I said that, that's what I want you to pray. So we're going to pray at the same time and we're going to contend. We're going to partner with you, Lord. Release what's on your heart of how to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray. Let's just declare, God, we just partner with you in this calling. We ask you put those people in our path. In the name of Jesus, we ask for a fire to burn in our hearts when we see them to step out with boldness. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. If God's putting people in your mind, let's just call them by name. Just pray over them by name.
Jesus. Oh, we look forward with great expectation, God, to all that's in your heart to release in this place in the coming months. Lord, we, we, we allow ourselves to be your vessel in this season, and I bless every heart here to hear from you, to see from you, to experience you like never before. Like never before, and we just we just commit today to partnering with you afresh, afresh, God. We just commit today to say that you are worth everything. All that's in our heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we bless what you're doing. We bless what you're doing, God. In Jesus' name. I just want you to take a look around just for a second. And just take stake in your mind. Because I don't know if you can feel or not what God is doing this morning, but it's significant. And I think it's going to be something that we can look back on and say, this was the beginning. Because this isn't the fullness. This is the beginning of this journey that God is releasing us on. So if you feel like God was doing something in you and you didn't understand it, please come and talk to us. We don't want anybody to ever feel confused because that's not the Lord. Um, And I want to say thank you, Brent. Thank you. I literally texted him last night at like 9 and said, could you come and play? And he did, and it was awesome. So I want to just pray a blessing over you guys as you go out into your week with family. May it be good and fun and filled with great godly boundaries. and. All-